Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have Jeff Lester, our friend from the eastern part of Arizona, right on the New Mexico line. Jeff is an outfitter with Hunt Hard Outfitters. You've been doing this a long time, buddy. I, I, I follow your Instagram and I think, man, I can remember 20 years ago when uh, we were doing this and here we are now pushing into our 40s and uh, we're, we're still doing it. <laughs> yeah, we are, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of things have changed, sometimes, but we are still doing it. Sometimes I look in the mirror and don't recognize the guy that's looking back at me. I don't know if you've reached a point where that's hit you yet, but uh, it's, it's pretty funny. Sometimes after some of these hunts, I came home from Mexico and I looked in the mirror and I'm like, you know, I hadn't shaved and I'm just like, goodness, who is that looking back at me? <laughs> I, I usually don't. If I look at it, it's not so bad, but it's what I feel like when I when I come out of the woods. Is <laughs> that's yeah, when I feel my exactly. age. <laughs> the way your body feels, um, Jeff. We've had some great podcasts, obviously, uh, in the past, and um, we've got the New Mexico uh, draw deadline coming up. Uh, I believe uh, the twenty first of March of two thousand eighteen. Um, I want to go over. Uh, the units in New Mexico, we've been doing these state-by-state, uh, uh, unit-by-unit, animal-by-animal kind of breakdowns, and I uh, wanted to talk to you not only about your opportunities that you have for draw hunts where people put in, uh, but the unique thing about New Mexico is you guys actually have the ability to uh, buy unit-wide tags, landowner tags, private-only tags. There, there's a lot of opportunities and the guys that are in the know and have been doing it a long time, like yourself, uh, are able to get those tags where guys can then come to you. You can guide them. They're unit-wide tags. And it creates an opportunity where not only this podcast is going to be talking about, you know, what should the guy put in for if he's trying to draw the tag, but then there's some people out there that say, you know, um, I want to just go ahead and purchase a tag. So I kind of want to cover all of that. Um, today in this podcast. Before we get into that, we had talked about Unit 1 and 27 um, a while back and talked about moisture and what have you. I believe it was a couple, three weeks ago. Uh, mm -hmm. What has happened since then? You know, is there any change is New Mexico looking like? Well, on that Arizona side, and, and this goes with New Mexico as well, New Mexico, of course, was, you know, really dry, the same as eastern Arizona. Um, and there's quite a few more arid units, you know, across the border. We get into some, um, you know, high desert, you know, units that, you know, pinon, cedar, juniper country, you know, rim rock, sandstone, uh, stuff that's just rolling country, not so much, you know, big mountain type country. You know, the Gila uh, you know, the unit 16A, 16D, 16B, um, certain parts of that above Silver City and all that, you know, those units are really mountainous there, much like our units over here, like unit 1 and 27. And where we were really dry, the last three weeks we've actually picked up some pretty decent moisture. We've had two, uh, actually three little storms come through. The last storm was really good. Um, you know, here at the house, we got a couple of inches of snow, but the mountain had, uh, you know, we, we went up, we had anywhere from four inches to a foot of snow in different places across, 
you know, Unit 1 and Unit 27, um, depending on where you were. Mostly the, when I say a foot of snow, that was more towards, you know, the higher elevations over towards, uh, you know, Mount Baldy and stuff where, you know, the ski areas are and stuff. But I, I heard that the Gila picked up um, some pretty substantial snow, I mean, snow up on top of that. And I know some of the lower elevation units as well. Somebody told me that Pie Town had five inches uh, three day, four days ago. So, um, you know, that country over there, that's really good moisture for that country. And we were expecting another storm coming in Friday. Uh, I know when I woke up this morning and looked out the kitchen window, there was a pretty good dusting of snow around the mountain behind the house here and up towards Greens Peak um, here in Unit 1. And uh, so, like I said, it's calling for snow uh, this weekend as well. So we are picking up some, some pretty decent storms. You know, it kind of did this last year. Um, I mean, we got a lot more heavy snow early, and then we had a big break where we didn't get much. And then we got some spring moisture. So, you know, maybe these weather patterns are off a little bit, but, you know, we're all keeping our fingers crossed that we continue to get a little moisture in the spring. Um, I talked to a friend down in Safford uh, just an hour ago, and he said they got three inches of rain last week, you know, in those two storms. And right. he said just good, nice soaking rains. And he, he expected it to really start greening up down there. And the temperatures really dropped off as well because, you know, we were really warm. And yeah. uh, This feels like you know, January right now. Yes, it does. This, it's normal. This, this feels like what we wanted down on the rut when we were coos deer hunting. It's weird. We had, you know, 70, 75, seemed like, degree days. And, you know, here in Phoenix, you know, we're, like, barely hitting 60 today. We've kind of been in the 50s, kind of a cold snap. And it feels like we're a month behind, like, you know, kind of mid to third week in January. So, uh, spring moisture uh, can can make or break. I mean, it it can take a year like what we've been having, and you get a few of these timely storms. Um, it it could really bail us out. Do you agree? Oh, totally, totally. It doesn't take a lot. You know, those north hillsides, um, you know, where they don't get the the sun and stuff, are gonna hold. You know, will hold that snow, especially if the temperatures are low, and that that as that snow melts. It, it's really able to soak into the ground and then, you know, create a little runoff and then, you know, green up some different spots. And, you know, all those north hillsides should start to, you know, as it starts to warm up, that, that stuff will start to green up under those trees and get those little shoots coming up. And that's what those elk and deer can go in there and feed on and stuff. And I came from California a week ago, and when I came through Flagstaff on I-40, uh, they were getting a really good storm um, up there as well, and that was the same stuff that I came through. And when I came across 40 through Winslow and Holbrook, I got into really, really heavy rain out in that country, and uh, I mean really good rain. I mean it was, you know, you know, big downpours. So, I mean, you know, good. some of this country, you know, we don't get, you know, we, you know, we get 11 inches of moisture a year on, you know, I think it's 11 or 14 on a good year, you know, um, don't quote me on that. I could be wrong, but I want to say that that's that's sometimes yeah, that's about our moisture levels up here. So, you know, every little bit we get, I mean, helps. Um, you know, and we, we everybody was. I mean, that's what everybody's been talking about. Everybody that's called, everybody's worried. Everybody's banked points, maybe, or everybody's concerned about the moisture. And I'm still a firm believer that, 
it takes you know multiple consecutive years of that really dry uh, you know dry weather to really affect the horn growth really badly. I know that in those years where we've had those really bad horn growth years, it was coming off of a couple of seasons like that, you know. So as long yeah. as we get some, some decent moisture, I, I think we'll be okay. Looking so. into the um, application uh, period, obviously the deadline for New Mexico is uh, March 21st. Um, a, a couple things, uh, and maybe you can kind of help me uh, clear it up. It's you buy a hunting license for $65, uh, and then uh, you apply for each different animal, and it's, I believe, $13 uh, per animal. And that is correct. It used, to, it used to be where you had to, I believe, include a check when you applied for New Mexico, and they've now changed it where you just pay the $13. You don't have to pay anything unless you're drawn. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay, and then they break up uh, the elk uh, licenses, um, one of them $773, and that's a, a, a Q, an HD, and a Q slash HD. I assume that's quality and maybe high demand. And yes, then there's that's, a, that's what it then means. There's a $548, which I would assume is kind of a lesser tag, maybe not as, as big of a demand. But pretty neat that you can apply with no – so in New Mexico – you can apply and there's no bonus points. So for the guys out there that I get emails all the time, hey, I've never applied in Arizona, I'm way behind, da-da-da-da-da. New Mexico is, is kind of a, you know, you've got to apply. There, nobody has more weight than the others. But there is a resident and non-resident uh, tag allocation and, and quota, is there not? I was wondering if you could explain um, the percentages of how it works with the tag allocations to residents and non-residents. Okay. So in the state of New Mexico, 16% uh, of the tags in a given unit will be given to out-of-state hunters. So it used to be 20%, but, you know, years back or a few years back, they cut that back um, to 16%. So 10% of the tags are eligible in what they call the outfitter draw. The other 6% are eligible to out-of-staters in the uh, out-of-state pool, which, so if a guy wants to put in on in the 6% pool, so he puts in for a given hunt, let's just use 100 tags, for example. Six of those tags out of that 100 tags will be given to applica uh, applicants that put in for the hunt, and draw it without going through an outfitter, okay? Right, right. The 10% is what we call the outfitter pool, and if you are in that outfitter pool, you're with all the other outfitters, you're, you're trying to draw, say, 10 of those tags go to out-of-staters that are in that pool. So 16 of those tags are going to go to out-of-state hunters, okay? 10% will go in the outfitted pool, the other 6% will go to just the out-of-state, you know, a guy that put in on his own. Now, that guy can still hire and contract an outfitter of his choice, um, but anybody who puts in through the outfitter pool has to sign a contract with the outfitter that he is using his outfitter number previous, I mean, you know, before the draw. Yeah. He has to sign has to have that a contract, contract. Befo beforehand, before applying, and that actually gets you a 4% uh, 
you're in a 4% better pool. You go from a 6% pool to a 10% pool. Yes, by hunting with an outfitter. And then, you know, you're right. You're rolling the dice, but you don't have to contend with anybody else that has, you know, 20, 30, bo- I mean, whatever, you know, bonus points. You're just putting in against everybody, and you're just rolling the dice. So the odds game in New Mexico is not only trying to find, you know, the best odds or whatever, but it's also playing the game of, well, are you hunting with an outfitter or are you not hunting with an outfitter? You know, because you do get 4% better odds by going through an outfitter. And then the other 84%, I would assume that's for resident tags, residents of New Mexico. Yes, residents only. Yep. Okay. I want to break this down a little bit. Um, Obviously, uh, the listeners of this podcast, if they've listened for a while, they know that Go Hunt Insider has been the title sponsor of this podcast. Uh, I was looking this morning through the odds in New Mexico, and I kind of wanted to break down a couple examples here and show how the Go Hunt Insider does a really good job with their charts and tables of breaking this down, and I, I, I wanted to go over a few of these numbers to show where the value is of being able to look at every unit that you're interested in and look at your odds, resident odds versus non-resident versus guided. And for most of this conversation, obviously, it's the non-resident pool that's non-guided versus the resident pool, or excuse me, the non-resident pool that's guided. So you're basically, for the, for the you know, sake of this conversation, we're going to look at the difference and Go Hunt spells it out. So if you take unit 16A on the archery hunt on the first hunt, uh, so I believe that's the 1st through the 13th or 14th of September. Yeah, 1st first, first through the, the 14th. Okay, the resident odds in 16A, so that is the pool that 84% of the tags, the, the resident odds is 31% for that first hunt. There's, there's 210 successful applicants last year. There were 1,181 applicants for those 210 tags. You drop down to the non-resident that's going to choose to not go in the outfitter pool in 16A on the first hunt. It's a 4% draw. It's 15 tags, 634 applicants for 15 spots versus the guided draw. So now you just you saw a non-resident, non-guided, 4%. You go in that same hunt, go in the guided pool, you go from 4% draw odds to 9.3%. So over double your odds. You go with 25 tags uh, were drawn last year out of 547 applicants. That's in 16A alone. So a 4% chance, uh, you know, not in the outfitted pool, to being in the outfitted pool and you get a 9.3% chance. So if you look at the 16A second hunt, the resident pool on the second hunt, I believe those dates are what, the 14th through? That's the 15th through the 24th. Okay, yeah, 15th through the 24th. That is a 14% draw, 126 successful tags were drawn out of 1,625 applicants. You look at the non-resident, so the guys that chose not to put in the outfitter pool, so they're in that 6% pool, if that makes sense. They, they drew 1.4% of the tag, or, or 1.4% draw odds. They, they drew nine tags out of 1,159 applicants. And if you look in the outfitted pool for 16A, that's 16A archery, that's the second hunt, 
3.2% draw odds. So again, over double the draw odds, 15 tags were drawn out of 745 applicants. Uh, it's pretty neat to be able to go down hunt by hunt, animal by animal, and be able to see where your draw odds stack up for each one of these units. So I just thought I would point that out here. Um, ironically, or not ironically, but I guess additionally, I, I did the muzzleloader hunt uh, in unit uh, 34. Uh, the resident numbers, so this is the 84%, they drew 14, this is an October 13th through 17th hunt. They drew 14%, or the draws were 14%, 210 total tags out of 2,725 applicants. In the non-resident pool, uh, this is the pool that cho chose to apply in that 6% pool, but not in the outfitter pool. They drew 4.6, uh, the, the odds were 4.6, that's 15 tags out of 534 applicants. And then in the guided, so in that 10% outfitted pool, uh, the odds were 11%, 25 uh, successful tags were drawn out of 387 applicants. So I just kind of wanted to go over how the Go Hunt Insider can help you, especially in a state like New Mexico, uh, where you can you know, go down and see how many applicants, how many tags, and see your percentage, and you can go hunt by hunt. Um, Jeff, when, when, you're, when you are applying uh, in the state of New Mexico, uh, most everybody that I know does it online, but you're required to purchase the hunting license uh, before applying, correct? And then, yeah, you, then you also but have you to can, create an account, right? Yeah, so you have to go on and you create an account. So you have a username and a password. You create the account, and then, that, and then you can apply for any draw that you want. And when you buy the license, you can actually check a box that if you are not successful in the draw, that you are returned the refund of the $65, okay? Now, if say you bought a landowner tag, so just I'm going to give you a quick scenario of what I have a lot of my clients do. So <clears throat> a lot of times I have hunters buy. So say I've sold a bunch of landowner tags up to this point. I'm still going to apply all of my hunters into the draw under my outfitter number, okay? Because if I draw, a, I draw them a tag, I'm saving them, you know, 5000 $7,000, whatever the cost of the landlord tag is, I'm saving them. So I'll, in turn, right. I'll take my tag and I'll either sell it to another client or I'll sell it to another outfitter. And then we put that money, of course, to the, towards the hunt. Because um, our hunt fees and our landowner fees are separate from, you know, you know, I mean, you have a total hunt package, but the landowner tags... Uh, you know, different units, different weapon. They range. You know, they can fluctuate between, you know, two or in other words, you're still you're still guiding the client. But in essence, if they draw the 16A first archery tag, they draw it. Then they don't have to spend whatever amount of money they've had to pay you for the landowner tag. They they use their draw tag. You're still guiding them. They applied in the outfitter pool, and then then. Because that, that uh, landowner tag has not been, quote, unquote, validated, you have right. the ability to, A, sell it to someone else or whatever you want to do with it. But what it does is it helps the person that's bought the tag and they've just saved the amount, whether it's, you know, five, six, seven, eight, ten, whatever the, you know, thousands of dollars, it saves them that money. Yes, yes. 
And the reason I do that is because at, even at this point, those tags have all, 90% of those tags are spoken for. Okay? So not that it doesn't mean that an outfitter, somebody that I know will call me you know, in the summer and say, hey, I had a client draw and I have this tag available. Are you interested? I do that with a number of outfitters that I'm friends with. Um, so you know, we trade tags or we sell them back and forth to each other, but the tags that I have up to this current time are tags I've been buying for years. So you know, most of those are sold already. I have people that put in for the draw, of course. We put everybody in for the draw. If we're lucky, you know, I'm just trying to save my client some money. And, okay. and then in that, that, in that case, it also, you know, might open up a spot for someone, you know, to come and hunt with us, you know, because I take a massive, you know, repeat clientele. And so most of the landowner tags that I'm selling currently are to people that have hunted with us in the past. Okay. Okay. Let's talk about, let, it, and I think the easy Really, really quick, Jay, just what you were saying about those draw odds, um, you know, that Go Hunt has, I mean, that's a, that's a very valuable tool. Um, because if a guy, and, and I say this because, I mean, obviously this is my business and I want to book hunters that, that are going to hunt with Hunt Hard Outfitters. But if a guy is looking and he doesn't, maybe he's not really sure of the outfitter he's going to hunt with, but he, but he, he still wants to get in the game, he can still apply for that 6%. And then later, he can find an outfitter to hunt with if he wants, or he can hunt it on his own. The thing that that's really good about is that it breaks it down in, in such a way that you can get on there and look at that and really make an educated guess of where your best odds are of going and getting to hunt. So right. that's a really valuable tool. Yeah, for sure. Um, what I'd probably like to do is go unit by unit in in – you know, maybe first tell me kind of your bread and butter units and I'll write them down and then we'll just take one and we'll just start with one. We'll talk about, you know, the status of the unit, the trend of the unit, is it going up, down, you know, et cetera. But um, why don't you tell me and the listeners kind of the units and, and you know, the, the units and the hunts that are your bread and butter and then let's take each one of them and kind of break them down. Okay. Um, we hunt mainly the western side of New Mexico, uh, everything south of I-40. So, you know, up at I-40, you're going to start up there above it. You have 9, and then you're going to come into Unit 10, 12, 13, 15, 17, and then you're going to come down into the Gila units, which are your 16A, uh, 16B, 16C, 16D. Um, and then you've got 23 that borders over against Unit 27, Arizona. Um, and we basically hunt any of that. So basically we're hunting everything from Socorro, which is over there on I, uh, you know, on the interstate that, uh, I, I don't know why I just can't think of the interstate over there, but anyway, from Socorro. The north-south interstate, yeah. Yes. So everything uh, west of that, you know, you start with Unit 17 over there and Unit 13, and then as you work that way towards Arizona, which is, you know, it's 160 miles and there's a number of different units through there. So that's the section of, of New Mexico for elk that we're talking about. We do do a few hunts up north occasionally, um, and we're looking at another, another unit that kind of opened up a couple of hunts up there that we're looking at doing that we used to hunt that we're thinking about going back. But that's pretty much the main um, bulk of the, the, 
of New Mexico of what we're hunting. And that's what New Mexico is known for. This is the area that's always produced the biggest bulls um, in the state. Um, it's not to say there's not big bulls in some other units that are off the beaten path. You know, that 34, 36, 37 over there on the other side of, of you know, towards Riodosa and all that also is, is can be good. Lots of private land in that area, so there's lots of, you know, ranches and big ranches and different things. But um, the bulk of our stuff that we're doing is this, Unit 13, 17, 15, the, all the 16 units, and 23. Okay, sounds good. Um, so we, sh we could break down 13, 17, 15, 16, and 23. Would that work for you? Yeah, that's fine. Now, okay. 23 Look. is, we don't, we don't hunt it a lot. I mean, we're, it's, a, it's not a hunt for everybody just because it's, uh, you know, it can, it, it can be a tougher unit to hunt. Um, it's got some really good bulls in it, and some really big bulls get killed every year in there. Um, but we, we have select hunts that we do in there, but we don't hunt every hunt in, in, in 23. Okay, okay. Let's start with Unit 13. Talk a little bit about the unit. Um, talk about, you know, trophy expectations. Um, and then we're going to go through each one of these. So just try and, you know, kind of a lot about the same amount of time uh, for each unit. And, uh, you know, how's the unit doing? What should someone expect? Uh, you know, type of conversation. Okay. Um, 13 is a kind of an arid unit. Uh, it's like, you know, pinyon, juniper, cedar country, sandstone, mesa. Um, got a couple of high mountain peaks in it, but for the most part, um, you know, you're about 7,500 to uh, 9,000 foot, you know, of, of the higher country that's in 13. Um, 13 is, you know, it's got some reservation land um, that borders a number of the, you know, different public and private lands as well as national forest. So it's got a lot of BLM and state, of course, as well. Uh, it's a giant unit. It uh, goes clear from I-40, clear to Highway 60, all the way over to Socorro. And, and then, you know, it's a giant unit. Um, got some, you know, it's got a couple of really big ranches in it. Um, you know, that, you know, private land that, and, and as well as reservation. Bull quality in the unit, I mean, 13 always pumps out some really big giant bulls. Uh, it's a great unit. Um, the elk can be spotty in 13. You know, you can, you can, for instance, in archery season last year, I think I drove 1,100 miles in 10 days in that hunt in unit 13 on the archery hunt. And a lot of that was my own doing just because I was learning some new country and I was, I, I literally hunted from one end to the other and top to bottom. I crisscrossed it. We spiked out a lot in it and camped and, and we were just looking for something really special. And we ended up finding a really big bull that we hunted. We didn't get him killed. And, uh, so that, like I said, that unit always produced some really good bulls. Um, typically, it's a 300 to 325 probably average uh, bull hunt with the opportunity to kill skies the limits. I mean, you could kill a you could kill a 380 bull in that hunt, um, and not even. I mean, you know, just you could run down a bugling bull and and he could end up being a 390 bull very easily. It's it's got giant bulls in it. Um, pressure wise. Uh, for the size of the unit and the amount of tags that are in the unit plus the landowner tags that are given in the unit. Now, you've got to remember, so 
if a hunt has 75 tags in it, and let's just use an easy number. Say there's 100 unit-wide archery tags that are in the unit. Those, those tags can be hunted in either archery hunt. They could be in the 1st through the 14th, or they could be the 15th through the 24th. Same with the gun season. You can, you can validate that tag for any hunt. With, so if it's a gun tag, it can be in any gun hunt on the public land as well as the archery tag. So with that so said, I mean... Buy, so when someone buys a landowner, or a landowner voucher, which is unit-wide with you, and let's say it's for unit 13, that's good for the first archery hunt or the second. So in other words, they could go and scout the unit and not validate the first hunt and then validate it for the second portion, you know, the second, second hunt, correct? Yes, correct. Is that common practice? Um, no, well, maybe for someone that bought one outright and hunted it on their own and they wanted to do that, they could. Um, but typically, you know, as outfitters, we're setting a schedule. So, you know, if I drew three, say I drew four hunters in unit 13 on the second archery hunt, then, and I don't want anybody else in that camp and I want to break the numbers down, you know, I might talk to my hunters and say, Hey, let's hunt the seventh through the 14th in that first, in that first season on the landowner tag. Does that make sense? Right. Sure. So sure. you're able so to do that 13, with even, even the gun tags. So, Okay. Is 13 glassable or is it pretty thick? No, it's, it's, it's got a lot of really glassable country. Um, you know, obviously it's, it's, you know, high desert. So, you know, lots of vantage points, lots of glassable country, um, lots of faces and on the mountains and stuff that... You know, it's got a lot of canyons in it. It's got a lot of flat, rolling country as well, a lot of grassland. Um, you know, it's kind of a, it's got a, a lot of different mixed country in 13. If you were so, to compare it, say, to an Arizona unit, is there any unit, you know, that just jumps out at you that it's pretty similar to or most of 13 is similar to some unit in Arizona? Um, <clears throat> you know, probably 10. A lot of the 10 country, you know, Unit 10 or Unit 8, okay. Arizona, would be a lot of what, you know, you know how Unit so 8... A lot you know, of you juniper, come up, a lot of that rolling pinion country and, and knobs and stuff in the distance and mesas and that kind of stuff? Yes, yes. So those, okay. those are the two units I would say you could compare it to or that stuff that's, you know, 20 miles out of Winslow right there where you're in 5B or, you know, 6 and, you know, those... You know, it's just that rolling, you know, you do get pine forests at certain places in certain mountains, you know, you know, you can find dug fir and big, thick, uh, you know, you know, woods in the unit as well, but just in certain little spots, you know. Okay. Uh, and then in 13, there's archery hunt. Uh, is there also a muzzleloader hunt? Is there also rifle hunts? Talk a little bit about the the hunts themselves okay, so in, inside 13. Years ago, um, you know, New Mexico's been set up for years as, back in the day, it was a primitive weapon unit, meaning there was archery and muzzleloader. That's it. Never, never rifle hunted. And 13 is one of those units that has stayed that way. So is 17, and so is unit 15. So you'll never see a, you know, there's no rifle elk hunts in, in those units. So 
There's only muzzleloader and archery hunts. Okay. The and is that does that contribute? Does that as well as the the, the private land and the reservation borders? And the fact that there's no rifle hunts, does the, is that why at any given time you could turn up a giant, you'll, you'll look through a lot of bulls, but you know, just every once in a while and every year they kick out a giant because they don't get rifle hunted? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that. I mean, the only difference between a rifle and a muzzleloader these days is that you have to, you know, it takes you, you know, three times as long to load the, the weapon after you shoot. I mean, everything, there's no restrictions on muzzleloaders in New Mexico. So, you know, you can have a turreted muzzleloader shooting high-powered, you know, velocity power, all that. I mean, so they're pretty much, all the muzzleloaders these days, a lot of them are pretty much single-shot rifles. So I wouldn't say necessarily, you know, you got one shot and then you have to reload, obviously. And if, if it was a rifle, you know, of course, it's a repeating arm. So... You know, you jack another one in there and shoot again, you know. I mean, you know, 16D, 16A, 16B, 16C, those are your rifle units. And, uh, I mean, those, those pump out big bulls as well. So, um, you know, New Mexico has stayed pretty consistent with what they've given for tags for n on a number of the hunts. So you kind of know what you're going to play with every year. It's not like Arizona where, you know, oh, this year we got 75 more tags in this unit or 100 tags or they cut it or, you know, they, they bounce around that. They don't do that in New Mexico. Everything's pretty consistent on what it's been for years. And I would say okay. that the muzzleloader hunting, um, and to answer your question, Jay, is, you know, before muzzleloaders were so high-powered and, and um, basically like a single-shot rifle, I would say that that you know, that could be a true statement, you know, because people couldn't reach out there over 150 yards and kill these bulls. So in the last 10 years, we've been able to, that's, everything's changed with muzzleloader hunting. So, you know, 10 years ago, I would say, I would say yes to your question. Now I would say no, because, you know, what's there is there. I mean, you know, bulls did make it through those hunts because, of the inefficiency of the weapon. Well, now we don't really have any inefficient weapons. The bows are better, the rifles, the muzzleloaders, everything is spot on with these guns now that we're shooting. And you don't see the, the wounding and the uh, misses that we used to see. So makes bulls sense. don't, yeah. Makes sense. With, with Unit 13, uh, what would be some of the cities or, or, or towns or, you know, you know gas stations, you know, the, that hotel, you know, is there any services of any sort that jump out at you in Unit 13? Um, not really. I mean, you've got, you know, along 60, you've got, you've got Quamato, and then you have Pie Town and Daddle, and then you have Magdalena and Socorro. So that's all along Highway 60. And, and you know, all of those, all of those have some, what, lie north of that, Jeff? Yes, every, and everything of 60 would be north of what I just said. And then okay. if you get up to the, north, the northwest uh, corner, you know, you have Grants, New Mexico, and then you have I-40 that heads into Albuquerque. <coughs> and then south of that, of course, you have Socorro down, you know, on the interstate. So, you know, I mean, you know, you, there's plenty of places, you know, if you're going to go out and camp in the middle of the unit, obviously you're going to want to take fuel and gas and everything with you. 
Um, you know, there's a couple of little places that are, you know, that sit in and amongst what I'm talking about, but that's where your main services are going to be, where you're going to be able to get fuel. Um, and, you know, Pie uh, Town, you can't even get fuel in, I don't think. I mean, I've never, I don't know, I've never really paid attention to that, but I know that, you know, Daddle is mainly your main hub on this side. And then, of course, Grant's uh, up on the north, uh, northwest and Socorro and stuff. So it doesn't have a, you know, any of these units down, it doesn't have a really major metropolitan area anywhere near it, you know. Okay. Let's jump over to 17, talk a little bit about 17, because I believe geographically, when you're talking about, you kind of focus on 13, 17, 15, 16, and 23. 17 is kind of geographically located near 13, correct? Right. Let's talk about okay. 17. 17, um, it's another unit that can pump out a giant at any time. Pretty much all these units we're talking about, you know, have, have those kind of bulls in it. I mean, there's not a unit we hunt that doesn't have a giant bull running around somewhere in it. Um, but 17 can be very hit and miss. A lot of people rank it as one of the top units in the state. I would definitely disagree with that um, with a lot of, for a lot of reasons. I mean, it's got some big bulls in it. Don't get me wrong. But it is, it's got some extreme rough, nasty, big mountain, a rough country. Really big canyon country. Um, had a couple of really big fires in the unit. Um, has pretty much three big mountain ranges in the unit. And all three of those mountain ranges uh, are pushing, you know, 10,000 foot. And... Just uh, got a lot of private land in the low country that borders a lot of the, that big mountainous country we're talking about, and then it's got a lot of grassland. It's got complete, you know, cactus desert, you know, down on the east, I mean, the, uh, on the east side. So um, it's got a mixed bag. I mean, it can be, don't get me wrong, I mean, I, I like 17 um, if I'm looking for, you know, something special or a big bull, but it can be, it can chew up a guide and spit him out. I mean, it's a... Uh, it's not a hunt for everybody. I mean, it, it, it has some big bulls, and it, you know, the elk are spotty in it. Uh, can be tough, though, very tough. Um, but if you know, if you hit the right spot at the right time in the archery seasons and different things, it can be really, really, really good. Um, let Let me ask you a question about 13 and 17, since they're kind of geographically located near each other. You've got two archery hunts. You've got one that starts on the 1st, goes to the 14th, and then the second one starts on the 15th. Um, talk about those arid units. Talk about, you know, I'm sure you get asked, well, which should I get the first hunt or the second hunt and why? Talk a little bit about that in those units. And, and, if, it, and if it doesn't just apply to those units, and you, you know, feel free to say this applies to, you know, all the units we're talking about, here's the ins and outs of the first and second hunt. Okay, so, you know, anytime you look at, at season dates for elk, and obviously you being an elk hunter, Jay, you'll understand this. We always have that, when do you want to hunt elk? Well, gee, I'd the best time to hunt elk would be, you know, the 17th of September to the 1st of October, okay? With that said, you take the, the Mexico gives you that September 1st to the 14th. Now, obviously, you know, I've seen it where I've even seen bulls in the velvet still in that hunt. I mean, typically, no, they're rubbed out and they're coming out of that. But, I mean, I've seen it where they're still bachelored up in that first through the seventh. 
and it can be super tough. There's no vocalization. It's all spot and stock or water holes. And if you're not a fan of hunting water, and you know it can be super tough. Um, with that said, I've also seen <laughs> I've seen the bulls just as vocal as they can be on the first of September. I've seen them screaming. They're with cows. They're pushing cows. Everything's just rocking. Um, does that happen every year? No. That you're going to be lucky when that happens. I have seen it, but you're it, most of the time that's just you know it's odd. It usually doesn't happen like that. So that first through the fourteenth, that seventh through the 14th, the second week of the first 14-day season, I can see that hunt be very good, and I've seen it be good many, many times. Um, you know, a lot of times the big bulls aren't with the cows. They're coming into the cows, or they're checking the cows, or they're out roaming, or they're traveling from, you know, the country that they've been in, and they're coming to the cows. So some of those bulls can be a lot more callable, um, or they just have one or two cows. They haven't got a big harem yet. You know, they're just kind of coming into the country so myself i've killed i don't know how six or seven bulls myself in that in that seventh through the 14th time frame in new mexico with my bow uh because it's easier hunt sometimes for me to draw and i'd like to hunt it because it's before i get really really busy you know if guys are spending the big money on the landowner tags most of them want to spend that tag in the second season and but i really do enjoy that second part of the first hunt it can be very good now you've got to you know it's maybe it's not for everybody and and you know you're not going to have maybe the vocalization and the rutting but you do you are going to get vocal bulls that are coming in and starting um obviously the second season the 10th i mean the uh, 15th through the 24th is what predominantly most people want to hunt because it's a later date and you know the bulls are pretty much cranked up they're going things have started the ruts on and you know you're in there and you're hunting bulls every day morning and night you know on the ground um and that's that you know a lot of guys hunt that first season on water as well um i'm not a big fan of the water hole hunting i'm not saying we don't do it um but you know i just enjoy hunting bulls on the ground you know where you're pursuing them on the ground when they're when they're bugling and and you know the action is just it's much more of a hunt than just sitting water and waiting for a bull to walk in to drink um you know a lot of guys kill a lot of bulls that way new mexico that you know some of the success rates are really high in that first hunt due to waterhole hunting now you know unit 13 unit 17 those areas being arid a lot of people you know we you've got to think about these units over here in arizona that are much the same the nines the tens the eights you don't have big natural creeks and natural water running through them. Um, so what you're, what, what's out there is that the water that has been set up for the cattle, so your dirt tanks, your drinkers, you don't have a lot of natural water. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's some springs in these units and different things like that, but you're not going to have a lot, of, a lot of natural water. It's all, a lot of it's man-made water, you know, windmills, drinkers that are up on you know float systems off of a pump or or uh uh not sap, uh solar you know solar panels pumping water to where when you get over towards in the 16 units when you get into that more mountainous country you're going to have a lot more natural water springs um seeps uh you know creeks 
and a couple of rivers, you know, so you have a lot more natural water in those in those Gila units, you know. Good stuff. Uh, speaking of the Gila, let's jump right in. So when you speak of the Gila, you're talking about Unit 15, is that correct? Well, a lot of people, okay, so th or, that's a or funny is, thing Or do I have it the opposite? It's actually 16. Well, let me explain. So when everybody hears the Gila, they hear the Gila, New Mexico, numerous units get lumped into the Gila. And for years, we've referred to Unit 15 as the Gila and, and these other units. They all border the Gila. So all the genes and, and all the bulls that are coming out of all these other units. So a lot of people just refer to this whole region that we're hunting as the Gila. But the Gila National Forest, which is in 16D, and 16A, 16D, Gila National Forest is going to be in those units. Um, Apache Sitgreaves and Apache National Forest are going to be, you know, your 15, um, you know, and then you have your Cibola National Forest that's over in 13 and stuff like that. So that, that that's kind of a, you know, we don't correct people a lot of times because it gets confusing, but a lot of times people refer to the Gila as this whole area, but, you know, to, you know, to be factual, it's you, you've got the Gila National Forest, you've got three other forests that break up a lot of this country, but it all comes out of the same gene pool, so the elk are all out of that same, same area, and so that's why so many people just refer to this whole region as the Gila, you know. Okay, makes sense. Um, let's talk about 15. Okay. Tell me about it. 15 is a good cross between your unit, you know, your unit 13 or any of the 16 units. So it's got a lot of country that's low, um, rolling pinon, juniper, pine forests, and then it's got high mountain peaks, ponderosa pine, benches, and forests as well. Um, big canyon country. It's, a, it's another big unit, stretches clear from um, the Arizona state line all the way over to the Cibola National Forest line that borders 13. So it's a, it's a huge unit as well. It used to be two units, 15A and 15B. And then they made it one unit. So it's a big unit. It has a massive amount of tags in it, probably one of the heaviest hunted units in the state of New Mexico. I mean, I don't know what the last count was, but it's close to 3,000 elk get hunted there a year. I know it sounds crazy, but it's true. Um, if you add up all the landowner tags, all the hunts, the archery, the muzzleloader, all the hunts, I want to say that 15 is pushing 3,000 elk tags a year in it. And there, it has big, strong elk herds. There's a lot of elk in 15. Um, 20 years ago, it was probably the best big bull killing unit you would ever hunt in your entire life. It was phenomenal. And it's been, in my opinion, it's been just overhunted. I mean, it's got a lot of elk in it. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of cows. Uh, the bull-to-cow ratio is what it is there, but the amount of landowner tags versus everything else, it's just had a lot of pressure, and I just, I'm not a big fan of 15 anymore. I mean, I hunt it, I live right by it. I love 15, if I could, if I, if it was the old days, um, but I'm not a big fan of it because unit 15, in my opinion, is a 280 to 320 upper end bull hunt. Don't get me wrong, it pumps out a big bull every year. There's some big bulls in 15, but it's nothing 
like it was in its heyday. I mean, it, when I first started guiding uh, 20 years ago, I mean, you would walk by 340 bulls just to get to a big 380 herd bull. I mean, in any hunt. I mean, it was the the rut was really hardcore there. Lots of cows, lots of bulls. Um, it bordered Arizona, of course, and you know, so it it was getting you know, flo- you know, overflow from both uh, uh, Arizona and New Mexico that we used to get the same. And uh, it just uh, I've it's heard just, that not the a- bulls in 15 are like the most skittish elk in North America. Like they, you you blow a bugle or a cow call, and if you miss a note at all, I mean they take off friggin' running. Yeah, it's a. Uh, that's another thing is it's it's super road accessible, so there's roads crisscrossing it throughout it, good forest access everywhere. Um, there is some private land in it, but it doesn't have any really giant giant ranches. Most of the ranches are pretty small that that are in it. You know, anywhere between you know five to seven thousand acres. And the elk don't stay on those ranches. That's the funny part about a lot of these guys that have these unit wide. I mean, ranch only tags uh in some of those units where those elk don't stay on them and if they do they hunt them on water holes only because they if they if they hunt them on the ground and they bump those elk they're going off of them and then the public are going to hunt them and that's why i'm just not a big fan of 15 i mean you know it's produced big bulls in the in years past i mean we've killed a number of big bulls in 15 and i used to love to hunt 15 but it's just simply got too many tags for what I like to do. Um, it still can be a good hunt, and guys see a lot of elk, and you're going to see bulls on the hunt. It's not that you're not going to go kill an elk there. It's just that killing anything over, you know, five five to seven years old is going to be pretty tough. Um, you know, and it borders, you know, the whole, the whole southern part of the unit borders 16D. So right across the highway is 16D, which is super limited. So you're going to have big bulls come out of D and cross the highway and come into 15 to rut. You're just going to have that. And so I'm not trying to say there's not a big bull in 15. There's definitely some big bulls in 15. It's just you're going to contend with people. You're going to have, you know, you're going to have company. If you're hunting a big bull, someone else is probably going to know about it. I mean, there was a big, you know, 400-inch bull over there a couple of years ago on a hunt and 20 people posted the bull on social media that they were going to hunt this bull. I mean, everybody knew about him. And and that bull was literally ran out of there by the day the hunt was done. And by the first by the start day of the hunt. And it's just kind of funny because everybody was sitting on the four knobs looking at the same bull. And everybody's like, "Oh, look at this huge bull." <laughs> well, yeah, so everybody knew about it. And um it's kind of funny, but I'm not a big fan of hunting like that. I mean, you know, I have guys apply for it on certain, you know, certain hunts. Uh, we still like it. It's a good hunt for older gentlemen or ladies that want to, you know, that are, you know, ahead in their years where they can't hike like they used to because it's got a lot of road access. You can still go shoot a 300-inch bull there and still have a pretty decent elk hunt. It's just, you know, it's not, you know, my cup of tea when it comes to what I'm looking for to take my clients and go do. Is it like a six so, A in Arizona where you've got you know, exactly seven or very good tags. comparison, very good comparison. Like t- lots of elk, but they're kind of running everywhere because there's people everywhere and there's roads everywhere. Right, and you know six A it pumps out a pretty good bull. You know every year you somebody kills a pretty big bull there. 
You know, and, but, and also keep in mind, there's people listening that are from all over the country, and if they just, you know, had an opportunity a six-point bull, the whole hunt would be a complete success. So, I mean, you and I both are a little bit jaded because we've seen, you know, the best of the best. We've lived through the best years in Arizona. Like, we've seen the best. And so I always sometimes have to check myself and be like, you know, there's a lot of people that would absolutely, they just want to hear an elk bugle. And if right. they, you know, if they shot a 300-inch bull or a 280-inch bull and it was a 5x6, and they're like, hey, it's got a 6 on one side, like, they're, they're tickled pink. Yes. So you're saying, you know, compared to the glory days and the great hunting that you get and you've gotten in Arizona and some of the stuff you see in 16A and 16D, it's not at the top of the charts, but, I mean, it's still a, an elk hunt. It's still you know, somewhat affordable if you're going to buy a landowner, you know. Um, well, that's, that's another thing that's funny, though, Jay, is 15 has it's one not. of the highest landowner tags in the state. It's got a highest lot of prices landowner or tags. Highest, highest no, tag highest, highest high, prices. Okay, so, so that tag still holding that Gila name, but the quality isn't what it used to be. Yes, it totally lives off. I, 15 is a unit that lives off its past reputation. Okay. And the landowner tags in that unit are, you know, fifteen dollars to $2,000 more than a lot of the other units. And why it's kept the price is solely, well, one reason is because so many outfitters hunt it. And I'll be honest, in my honest opinion, why so many outfitters hunt it is because it's easy to hunt. Unit 15 is very easy. You know, it, it just doesn't take a lot of work to go there and kill a 300-inch bull. It just, it's, you know, it's got a lot of elk in it. It's very easy to get around in. If you don't mind, you know, having a few confrontations in the woods, <laughs> then it's your hunt, the hunt for you. But it's just if you, not... If you uh, want to practice your UFC uh, cage fighting skills yes. as a unit. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I mean, it's... It's, uh, you know, I've, I've, there's every year, oh, I got into this water hole and three different guys walked in on top of me and, oh, we were, I mean, every year you hear these things. And in other words, like though, I, if you're hunting a unit like that, you have to be prepared for it mentally and you have to know that at any given time, another hunter's going to screw your hunt up. So if, if you go into it with that mentality and mentally prepared for, yeah, I'm going to be dealing with a lot of people, but I'm going to still get it done. It's the guys that put their head in the sand and they're like, oh, I'm going to have a great elk hunt. It's, you know, I'm going to have it to myself. Would you agree? I mean, if you, yeah, if you that's go not into going it with kind of a, a, a smile on your face, like, yep, how many guys am I going to run into today? Then you're just yeah. going to laugh it off. I've driven into that unit before and been watching, a, and, and I've had six trucks parked at my pickup, all of us over the hood of the pickup watching the same bulls. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's got that in it. Now, there is places in 15 that you can go and get away and find some little holes and get away and walk back into some closed areas. There is that as well. But you better do your homework and you better be with guides and outfitters that know where those holes are because if you're not, it, you know, we have a word for it and I won't say it, but anyway, it's, it's, it's that kind of show. So, <laughs> All right, let's jump into some of your, the bread and butters that you really like. 16A, let's do 16A, B, C, and D. Let's start with 16A. 
Um, and, okay. and I believe you can kind of talk about 16A and 16D, right? And then you kind of categorize B and C on, on their own as well, right? Right, right. So, so let's talk about A and D. Okay, so A and D. A and D are separated. Um, you know, one of you know, 16A has a lot more tags than 16D. 16D is a super limited. It's always been kind of, you know, the country down here. It's always been kind of that famed unit to get the tag in. You know, an archery tag or a rifle tag. It's got extremely tough draws on, you know, every weapon. It's because it's limited. There's very few landowner tags because there's not a lot of private land in the unit. So I think there's only five or six, you know, landowner tags. Um, I own one of those landowner tags, and it's my most expensive tag. The tags can be anywhere between twelve and thirteen thousand dollars to buy for the landowner wow. tag. That's not including the hunt cost. That's just called the landowner tag, and wow. it's because of supply and demand. There's not very many of them, so those tags are extremely expensive. Sixteen A, exact same thing. 16A tags are even more than 16D tags because there's even f fewer of them. And, you know, since the fires uh, five years ago in the Gila, you know, a lot of those units, you know, had, had you know, 75, 80,000 acre burns in them. Um, they pumped out some really big bulls. Um, and, you know, people, people will pay the money to hunt, you know, hunt those units. Uh, and if you don't have those tags already sewed up and, and, you know, they're very hard to come by. So I have people all the time, hey, can you get me a 16A tag? I'm like, no, I wish I could. Um, but they're just, you know, they're very hard to come by. So the units, um, they're very comparable in the upper end, meaning that 350 to 370 bull um, is not when I when I say 350 to 370, it's doable, but you're talking very low percentage of that kind of bull. Just like anywhere in the West, it's got those kind of bulls running around. But every unit over here that we hunt have those bulls in it. Even 15 is going to have a 370 bull running around in it somewhere. It's just that being a lot more limited, um, you know, draw draw numbers and not as many tags. Uh, you know, there's just not as many of those big, big bulls, but there, there are great bulls in those units. It's more of a 330, 340 upper end average with the chance of, you know, sky's the limits, kill a big giant 370, 380, 390 kind of bull. That, that exists in those units. Um, but very few of those bulls, you know, 16D pumped out a couple of really solid bulls last year. Um, you know, some big bulls were being hunted that didn't get killed. Um, but it's, it's the same. It's more of that 330 to 350 upper end average. So, you know, your, your upper end 15% of your big bulls that are killed out of a hunt might be in that 340 to 350 range. And then a couple of big, big, you know, 360 plus bulls might get killed, you know. So, Which is a know, better bugling unit, A or D? I'd say they're both the same. I mean, you know, I, if I had a, like my, if, if I was to say, if I could have a tag myself, if I could draw one tag, my, I would like to draw a 16D archery tag um, just because 
I know D better myself, and I'd like to hunt it in that archery hunt just once in my life. But the A hunt is probably, in my opinion, might be a little better. It can, they're both very good units. They're comparable to a, a Unit 1, Unit 27, um, you know, Arizona that we hunt, or your, your, you know, the action of that you're going to get in those, you know, 9 or 10. You know, it's, that's, it's, there, it's New Mexico's premier units. Okay, let me ask you this question. If right now I could give you a tag for the first or second hunt in 16A, 16D, or I could give you a Unit 1 or a Unit 27 tag or a Unit 9 or a Unit 10 tag, which of those would you pick if I could give you the tag right now? I'd pick a 16D New Mexico over a Unit 1 right now any day of the week. Just because of the, you know, it's just Unit 1's been, I mean, there's still some stuff I can get away, and I, I think I could kill a bigger bull. I, I mean, I say that in a number of units. I could kill a bigger bull in New Mexico right now in a number of units easier than I could kill in, in 1 or 27. Maybe not in, in the state of Arizona. Um, well, I don't know. That's a, that's a funny question. I don't know, because they're both, they're both, you know, 27. I mean, they're really comparable. They're really comparable. They, you know, it's what about country wise? Like, is it as steep and deep as 27 or not quite, or, you know, is it real comparable to 27? 16 D is very comparable to 27 as far as big canyons. Yes. Yes, both units, 16D and 16A, can be compared to these units over here on this side of the state. They're both okay. uh, very comparable, very comparable. And then, and then as far as, so we've still got the same season uh, uh, date structures with the first hunt and the second hunt. Uh, is there one A or D that, oh, yeah, you want the first hunt on A and the second hunt on D, or would you say, no, I mean, the second hunt on both is still better bugling and probably yeah i would hunt. say that that second hunt is still the best hunt and if you did happen to draw that first hunt of course your second week in that first hunt are going to be the is going to be the best time to hunt um you know that first through the seventh in those units can be better too i mean it's a it's a they're higher units they're higher elevation units so those elk might get going a little earlier than some of these lower units like 13 um you know, there's good, strong cow herds, in, and there's a lot of cows in all of that. You know, the cow herds in, in New Mexico are pretty strong. And, uh, you know, that's what causes your really good rut, you know, is, is the amount of, you know, cows running around that are in estrus. You know, I mean, it's, that's no, you know, that's not a secret. I mean, if you've got a lot of cows and you've got a lot of bulls, you're going to have a, you know, a, a rut that's off the hook, you know. And but as a hunter yourself, Jeff, as a hunter, if, if, you got a, if you drew a 16A either, you know, first or second, or you drew a 16D first or second, you would be stoked with any of those four options. Every yeah. year if you got one of those, you'd be, oh, you'd be tickled. Yes. If money wasn't okay. an object, I would buy a 16D or a 16A landowner tag every year for archery elk. <laughs> okay. I just would. I mean, I, I've had a lot of hunters... I had some guys from Phoenix last two years ago that drew 16A, okay? And they've hunted Unit 1 numerous times, and they thought the A hunt was a lot better. Really? Yep. Now, they, they hunted it when it was 
is it the, the very peak of 16A. It was two or three years after the burn, had a lot of elk, and it was really off the hook. It was really good. Um, you now you got a lot of that growth coming back, and of course they got the locusts coming in over there, the high stuff, you know, and and it, it's had some giant burns. It's really done some of that country really good. But um, what makes that hunt so good in in, in the in those units is the bull to cow ratios are really solid, and so you get that really hardcore rut, and that we used to see, you know, in these units over here in Arizona that we don't, you know, we still get a rut, but we don't, you know. I, I've been in some of those units where the rut's really, really hardcore over there in the archery hunts. Now, you know, with saying that, uh, Jay, you know, I had a, you know, I have a 16D rifle tag, um, and I, you know, I have 16D hunters or A hunters in the rifle season, um, depending on how my draw goes, because I only have a couple of landowner tags in those units. And last year, I had an extremely tough time myself guiding in my in the 16d hunt um it was tough and i was not able to produce near the bull that i've killed over there consecutively for consecutive years and you know one of the reasons um why that happened is of course we were we you know we were looking for a specific bull and we spent a lot of time looking for that specific bull and i didn't hunt my normal holes where i hunt but um you know, everything last year, you know, that was, that was a tougher hunt for me last year in that 16D was, but I was looking for, you know, that way upper end bull. And, you know, I have an outfitter buddy that, you know, he and I talked during the hunt and, you know, he was getting into some pretty solid bulls and passing them. And I was thinking he should have been shooting most of those bulls he was passing solely because of what I was seeing. You know, he was, he was passing some 340, 350 kind of bulls up, you know. Right. All right, let's take just a second here. Uh, I want to thank the sponsors of the podcast, uh, Go Hunt Insider. Uh, I was talking about that earlier with going over the 16A and uh, first and second hunt uh, draw odds between the resident and non-resident and guided. They have the most accurate draw odds on the market today. Uh, if you're not a Go Hunt Insider member, go to gohunt.com forward slash insider. Uh, click on the blue Join Now button. Use the J. Scott promo code. You're going to get a $50 Go Hunt Gear Shop gift card. And I highly encourage uh, all of you listening, if you're not an Insider member, to do so. Uh, also, Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. Go to Kuyu.com, uh, Phonescope.com. Cheston Davis and his crew out of Beaver, Utah, in my opinion, make the best digiscoping uh, adapter where they adapt from any phone to any optic, and they can be taking photos and videos uh, immediately. Uh, and then the Outdoorsman's, the Optics Authority, um, if you use the J. Scott promo code at the Outdoorsman's, uh, you get a 10% discount. I don't think I mentioned at Phonescope.com, if you use the J. Scott 16 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount. I want to thank those sponsors. Jeff, we're talking about 16A, 16D. Those, obviously, I can hear the excitement in your voice. You get excited when you talk about those. Then we have 16B and C, and those kind of, in their own right, have their own uniqueness, and but are quite different in a way, aren't they, from 16A and 16D. If you would talk about them, either individually or together, 
um, so guys can kind of get an understanding of what they're looking at if they were to, you know, think about applying there and, and potentially drawing those units. Right. Okay, so 16B, let's start there. And, you know, we don't, we don't get a lot of hunters in B. We take a few hunters here and there, uh, mainly because a lot of the stuff we backpack in or we hunt the fringes of B. Um, but B is 100% wilderness. So very, there's hardly any drive-in accessible areas by vehicle in B. Almost all of it is wilderness access only. Okay? So either foot traffic or horseback. And there's numerous uh, trailheads and, and places to enter. Um, and there's a lot of area you can drive around it and enter it and hunt the fringes all the way around the unit. But to get right down in the middle of it, you're going to have to go in horseback or backpack. And with that, with, with saying that, now, now that makes, you know as well as I do, any unit as big as 16B, and it's got as many elk as 16B and as much rough country as 16B, if you can get in the nasty parts and down in the middle of it in a lot of places, you can have rut action that's off the hook with, you know, giant bulls, lots of age class, good genetics. It's kind of got it all, but it is, you better be geared up for it because it's not an easy hunt. It's very physical, super rough country, a lot, lot like 27 in Arizona. And just to get in it and get deep in that unit, um, you know, with the fires, a lot of the trails are really plugged up with a lot of down timber because of the burns. So a lot of the country that people used to access and hunt, it's, you know, it's got a lot of really hard access. Um, every year pumps out some giant bulls because, I mean, there's, there's bulls that live and die in 16B that probably never see any humans. You know, it's got, it's got that big a country. and What type you know, of some, country is it? Is it a lot of dark timber and a lot of pine? And, you know, or yeah, it's it all ponderosa get... pine, dug fir, aspen. Um, you know, not a lot of aspen, but you know, it, it has it, uh, just big canyons, big, deep, nasty, uh, big timbered ca canyons. And, uh, but a lot of it's burned. I mean, it's got massive burns in it as well. So the burns have really probably helped the, the rifle hunts. The success rate on the rifle hunts has probably doubled since the fires just because it's opened up a lot of big timbered country that you were never going to shoot into previously. And uh, archery hunts, you know, it's, it's got a lot of elk in the unit as well in certain places, you know. Um, it, can be, it can be a tough hunt, though, I mean, just because of the access. You know, when you're on your feet, um, you know, if you're, if you're in a unit that has a lot of road access, you might hunt here in the morning and you might drive 25 miles and hunt that evening. Well, obviously, if you're in there on foot or horseback, you're pretty much stuck to right where you're at for that day, and then you're going to hunt. And then if you decide to move on, you've got to get your camp or whatever, or you've got a backpack, you've got to go to the next valley or the next canyon. or You know, you can only do so much on, when you're, you know, you're limited like that. So, um, you know, the success rates are, you know, decent in that unit, um, but a lot of it's because of the access. You know, you're not, you might not be getting into the action that you are in some of these other units just because, you know, you can't get there as quick. You know, 16B is a comparable unit to 16A or 16D. 
it's much of the same kind of country. It's just the access. It's the access. It's all wilderness, and, you know, you're just not going to just, you know, be over to, you know, to hunt 10 miles to the west today. You're, you, you just don't do it. You've got to be planned, geared up, and, and set in stone kind of where you're going to start and where you're going to go and hunt. And so most people use horses and livestock, or do some people just throw on a backpack and go? Most people, um, yes, use livestock. So there's a couple of trailhead that the livestock, you know, you're going to see, you know, you'll have 10, 10 truck and horse trailers at where, you know, people are going in one trailhead. Now, you would think that that would get congested in areas, but as you go in a lot of these areas, there's a number of trails that fork off of that, and there could be people all, you know, you can go in 20 miles, you know. I mean, so there's, there's lots of country to go in and hunt. Um, and then the backpack side, I mean, that's what we tend to do. You know, last year we had a 16B hunter and that was, you know, we hunted a lot of the fringes and had a main camp and then backpacked in, uh, to a couple of spike camps that we previously took, you know, food and water and tents and gear in and, and then we pack it out after the hunt. So you backpack into the, into the unit and hunt, um, out of a spike. good action? Um, yeah, yeah, they had great action. They saw some really big bulls, um, missed a number of opportunities, and, you know, so, you know, the, the report coming back was, you know, I would, I would love to have, uh, that's another tag I would like to have in my pocket, um, a 16B archery tag. It would just have to be on the right year for me to where I could really give it my effort, where I could go in and you know, put me a good solid camp in and then go in with a backpack and, and, then, and then spike out and, and hunt uh, from camp to camp, you know. Okay, it's now got big I bulls know. in it. It's a, it's a great, it, it's, uh, it's not, I'm not going to say it's like a sleeper unit. It's, it's very comparable to A and, and, and D. It's just the access. It's simply access. If you've got, you know, you better suck it up if you draw that tag and if you're going to go in deep, um, Suck it up, it Buttercup. Be, it's a super physical hunt. It could be a super physical hunt. Is there water and stuff, though, that, I mean, you can get water along the way? And is there, is there any in live certain water? Places, yes, it has, a, it has a pretty good solid, there's a couple of creeks, uh, main, you know, little rivers that run through the wilderness. Um, and then there, you know, there's lots of, there's quite a bit of springs and different things you know, but that's all, if you're going to do it that way, you'd want to make sure you scout it out and you know what's where. Um, we packed a lot of water in and, you know, we've, you know, we've had a, a couple of water sources that go dry, you know, but those areas we haven't hunted in a long time. So some of that since the fire probably is, they've come back pretty solid, you know. Okay. Something and that then, comes to mind and I know you're oh, going to roll your eyes, so just prepare yourself for the eye roll, but. As you're sitting there talking, we're talking about elk, but I, I can't help but think, man, I'd love to go spring turkey hunting in 16B someday and backpack in there and go chase a turkey, and you're like, oh, really, for a dumb turkey? We have those right off the road. Yeah, I just rolled my eyes for a turkey. Backpack and a turkey, oh, my gosh. You, you really want to go good, turkey hunting. Would it be good? You know what? I would say yes, because all those units over there have lots of turkey. I mean, the Heels got piles of turkey. I mean, there, there's, you know, like there's turkey rats. everywhere. Huh? Like yeah, rats. I mean, 
<laughs> yeah, there all those units over there uh, in those sixteens. There's lots of turkey in those units. And B, yeah, you're gonna find it. You know, it's like a twenty-seven. You know, twenty-seven's got piles of turkey too. You know, and you're gonna be able to go there and yeah, you would have a great turkey hunt. I'm saying, but backpacking and turkey, mm, maybe not my cup of tea on that one. Okay. <laughs> Hey, you know what? Maybe I should go on a turkey hunt and really see what it's all about because my hunters from the south and from the east have told me for years, they're like, Jeff, it's the t- it's like elk hunting. And I just can't wrap my head around it, but hey, maybe I need to just do it more. Maybe that's what needs to happen. <laughs> I think I think your wife would pay me good money to never take you on a good turkey hunt because you're gone enough as it is. I think she would say, how much do you want? Here's a blank check. Yeah, Please don't introduce them to a good turkey hunt. Um, Yeah, because what happens if I fall in love with one more thing to kill? That might not be good. Dude, if you (laughs) fell in love with turkey hunting, you just throw all this elk stuff and all that away and you just become a turkey nut. That's what you'd do. Um, 16B, and then we'll jump on to C. 16B... How are the muzzleloader and rifle seasons in the, in the unit because of the lack of access? Well, it doesn't, it doesn't have a muzzleloader hunt, so it's rifle, um, just like a, a and D. And, I mean, you could shoot a muzzleloader in the unit, of course. Um, and, you know, it's got a lot of that big open canyon country, so it's kind of set up to really rifle hunt. Uh, because you can shoot across all those big canyons, you know. There's a lot of canyon country and a lot of drainages. So you can go from drainage to drainage, you know, glassing and hunting a lot of those burns in that open country. Um, and, you know, it's very, I, I would say that that first hunt, um, you know, success rates are, you know, pretty solid in, in that unit. Um, you know, of course, getting your elk out, you're going to, you know, you got to quarter him up. you got to load him on a horse or backpack him out. I mean, there's no, you know, there's no motor vehicle travel in any of that wilderness country. So that thing's coming out on your back or on a horse. So yeah. even, even, when you, even when you hunt the fringes, you know, and you're hunting around, you might get up to the edge of it with a road and you go in two miles. If you kill something, it's coming out on your back. It is, you, you cannot, you get, I mean, you cannot access that country with anything other than a horse or, or foot, so. Okay, let's talk about 16C. Okay. C is uh, another rifle unit, of course, and archery. Um, and C is, uh, it's not one of my favorite units as well. It's got, I don't even know how to, I don't, we don't hunt it a lot. We, we've hunted it in years past, and we get a hunter here and there. Um, it's got a good youth hunt. I like the youth hunt in C. Uh, it's because it's got that early October date, and you get those bulls that are still rutting, and it's a rifle. So you're taking juniors, youth hunters in there. And so that's what we try to focus on, that youth hunt a lot in 16C. And try to, uh, and that, that first October hunt in there can be a pretty good rifle hunt as well. Still catch some bulls with the cows. Um so, you know, it's got a lot of that rolling. Um, it's got a lot of rolling. It's a higher unit, but it's got a lot of rolling pine forests and quite a bit of canyons, but they're not big, nasty, rugged canyons. I mean, there's a few really good drainages in the unit, but most of it is just really chopped up, rolling ponderosa pine forests. Kind of like a kind of like a 6A, um, 
you know, not glassable then. Not real glassable. No, it, it it's got some, but not a lot of glassable country. No, it's uh, you know, if you do, it's it's you know, you're hunting one canyon, glassing across. I mean, you see something in the rifle hunt, you can shoot it. It's you know, you're looking at 500 yards. You go to the next drainage. You know, it's got a lot of that country in it, but you're not nothing like a 23 Arizona where you're setting up and you're glassing like miles and miles of ground. No, it doesn't have a lot of that in it. Now. Okay. With 16C, to the north of 16C is 16E, and we hunt E a lot as well. And we do a lot more hunting in E than we do in C. And E is, can be a super tough hunt as well. It's got a lot of, uh, you know, it's got very little road access. It's got a lot of private land in it. You've got to go in horseback or backpack in a lot of the unit. Um, it's... It, it, it can produce, you know, some pretty solid bulls. Um, it's not a hunt for a lot of guys. It's, it's not one that's up on everybody's, you know, top list of big bull units. It, it, can, it can produce big bulls, and we kill some pretty solid bulls there, but it's not a give me. There's, no, there's nothing easy about the unit. Everything's hard about the unit. Um, it can be, you know, you can get some pretty decent hunting in E, but you better know it. You've got to know it really well. Uh, and and know how to hunt it really well so not a big you know it's not one that's up there on everybody's list for you know being a top unit uh, it, it it can produce some good bulls but it's not for everybody you know a lot of hard access as well okay let's finish up with uh unit 23 okay 23 um has, you know, we, we try to focus a lot on that, that youth hunt as well, that youth rifle hunt, and then that in the archery season, um, you know, it can produce, it's a unit that every year pumps out a couple of really good bulls, uh, can be super tough, got a lot of super rough country in it, um, got a pretty decent, you know, amount of elk in the unit, uh, but a lot of the areas where some of those bulls are going to be don't have a lot of road access. Even though the unit, you know, has quite a bit of road access, it's just there's a lot of walk-in area that the roads will take you up through these canyons. And then so you've got, you know, you've got an access point, but then you're going to have to get out and get on foot to get in, you know, a mile or two off the road to get into some of the good elk. Um, you know, on a, on a scale of 1 to 10, I would say it's, a, you know, a 6. Um, if, if you're willing to get in there and get after it, you know, it, you know, you could go there and kill a really good bull. Um, but you know, a lot of the guides, a lot of guides don't like to hunt it. You know, it's, it's tougher unit to hunt. Um, years ago, they, they did an unlimited elk, few elk hunts in there where they just had unlimited tags. Anybody could basically come in there and buy a tag and hunt the unit. Why they did that, I don't know, because the unit was phenomenal before that, and it really hurt the unit when they did that. Um, it's kind of come back around. Um, you know, I, I know, you know, I know of a 390 and a 400-inch bull that got shot there last year. So it's got some giant bulls in it. But uh, you're going to earn every inch of every bull you kill in that unit. So you're going to go in there, you're going to have days where you just don't have any action, and then you might end up shooting a 360 bull. You know, so 
you know, it's it's uh it's good. It can be a good hunt, and you know, but it's not. You know, I'm I'm very leery about who I take in that unit because I tell them exactly what I just told you. You know, I tell them the truth, and I I just say, hey man, I'm not saying you know the bull. You know, we can't go there and kill a big bull, but um, your odds of doing that are, can be tough. So let's transition here a little bit. We talked about elk. Um, you told us you have landowner tags uh, in most of the units. Uh, you also help uh, hunters that draw these units. Why does New Mexico not produce very good deer? Well, let me explain the deer hunting in New Mexico, and, and, and the listeners will like to hear this because, you know, right now, if you could, if you could produce a, a solid 170 deer, you could sell hunts. You'd have a line from here to Denver, Colorado, booking hunts. It's just that they've really focused on elk. They're known for being an elk state. Obviously, there's mule deer in every unit that we hunt. Um, you know, I shot a 180 buck in the Gila last year in, on myself. It was the only buck I saw in four days. In the four days, that was the only buck, other than a forked horn, that I saw. And, and it was literally like I was laying on a rock, I was whipped, I was done, I was literally, I was backpacked in an area, and I said, I'm done, I'm going home, I'm, I've had it. I leaned up in my 15s, and this buck is standing in my 15s. And I thought it was the buck I was actually hunting, because I was hunting a buck. <laughs> and I ended up shooting him, and that was that. So everybody's like, oh, it's a great buck. I'm like, dude, it's a tough, tough area. I mean, got some big deer. I see big deer every year in this country, but the amount of deer that we that we hunt and kill in these units it can be it can be tough hunting. So as long as guys understand what you're up against, you know we take deer hunters here every year. Um, you know our most of our deer hunts that we take our bulk of our people in are northern New Mexico in the unit you know unit two B and two C, and. Those hunts were great. Uh, they, I think they've overhunted the unit because um, the local deer herd that's been in 2B uh, has been shot up pretty hard compared to what it was 15, 20 years ago. And they, they sell it as a lot of guys think it's a migratory hunt because it's on the Colorado border and the deer come out of Colo southern Colorado and they migrate into Unit 2B, which is true. They do do that, but very rarely do you ever see that migration when those hunt dates are? You might get some deer trickling over in the third hunt. You might start seeing that migration, but you're not going to have the amount of deer that say are up, you know, that are in to be on the late archery hunt, where you have those deer from northern, I mean, from southern Colorado that have moved out of those southern units and moved into New Mexico. Um, so there's, I think 1,100 or 1,200 tags in three, between three hunts in, in 2B. And I used to take 10 or 15 deer hunters a year in 2B. And it just, it kind of, I killed about, I think it was 10 deer over 180 inches up there in four seasons. And it just slowly started getting tougher and tougher to kill those big deer because the deer that I was killing were local deer. I wasn't killing migratory deer. I was killing local deer. Well, you know as well as I do, when, those, when you start killing those big bucks out of those little holes, you'll shoot the holes out. And 
I, I think I literally did that in a couple of the places I hunted because I had to go find new ground to hunt and kill these bigger deer in. And now I've only been taking, you know, a, a few hunters up there a year. It's, I still love to hunt 2B. Um, so it's, it's a deer hunter's hunt where I like to track and glass, and it, it's got a lot of that kind of country in it to where you can do that. Really road accessible because it's oil country, oil and gas, and so there's, you know, there's roads everywhere. Um, and it borders the Hickoria, which, you know, we're sitting here talking about deer, and we're saying, why haven't they done anything? Well, you know, Rio Arriba County and all that up there in northern New Mexico, I think it still holds. It's still way up there in the record book. I think it's produced some of the biggest deer in the, in the books, you know, out of the, you know, off the hick and all that country. It's got the genetics. But um, correct me if I'm wrong on the Hickoria. I mean, they, for years, they shot every coyote, bobcat, mountain lion. Like, they, they declared war on predators up there, did they not? Yes. Yeah, they've done a lot of things. Their deer herd is extremely strong. Um, they get deer that come out of Colorado uh, as well, and they have a really strong deer herd. They manage it, you know, phenomenally. They kill some giant bucks on the hick every year. And that 2B country that all borders it, it could produce the same deer. It just doesn't because um, there's just, they're, you know, the genetics and age class. The genetics are there, the age class... Eh, I mean, you know, we shoot big deer. We've shot a, you know, I shot a good buck up there last year. Um, but, man, when I started hunting that, when I first started hunting that, it was phenomenal. It was just some of the best deer hunting I'd ever seen. I mean, there was lots of deer and lots of really solid bucks. And it's just kind of, it's gotten tough. I mean, as long as a guy understands what he's getting into, it can still be a good hunt. Um, you know, I mean, I got a couple outfitter buddies that hunt up there, and they kill some big deer. The auction guys always kill a pretty good deer. That's typically where the auction bucks get shot is in 2C or 2B, because 2C that borders 2B is really limited. It's only got 20 tags in it. And now what they're seeing in 2C is they're seeing, they're seeing a lot of older genetic deer that are just bad genetics. You know, you're getting these big 30-inch 2x3s and a lot of poor-looking rack deer, you know, big monster body old deer. They're just not, you know, got the genetics. And then, you know, in those same units, you got, you know, um, I had a buck up there last year on trail cam, and he's a 240-inch buck. And so it's got some giant deer in the unit. And then he got eaten by a lion, of course, you know. And uh, <laughs> some guys found him. They said, you know, he was a lion kill, you know, uh, supposedly. I mean, they found his, you know, the deadhead. And I actually was, I hunted that deer for two two seasons trying to kill him, and I just, never could get the buck killed and uh never took a crew to hunt him because i kept it really hush hush because i just didn't want you know to have lots of company and i was hunting him in a very difficult spot in the unit and anyway he ended up you know getting eaten by a lion so i mean 2b produces big bucks every year there's a number of, you know there's a number of us that hunt it and you know we all are you know we all know who each other are and we're friends and we stay in pretty good contact and you know the unit pumps out some pretty solid bucks every year but it's not a unit where you're just going to go in and you're just going to be passing up 160s to shoot a 180 um you know it, it it's got big deer in it but you know new mexico's really not um i don't know why they haven't managed their deer better because they've got phenomenal phenomenal deer habitat in most of the state um you know unit 13 i mean 
it, you, you look at that unit, it's got phenomenal deer habitat. But, you know, to go kill a big deer in that unit can be super tough. Is there big deer in the unit? Yeah, there's some big deer in the unit. But is there, a, you know, the numbers of deer are really poor, really poor numbers of deer. Um, what about coos deer? Now, coos, same. I mean, it's got, it's got some big, there's some units that produce some big coos, you know, in the southern part of the state, you know, down 27, and, and then you got the burrows and, you know, that stuff that sits over here by 27 a little bit that's, you know, on the south end of the, the Gila. Um, so there, there's some good coos uh, opportunity. Um, it's not super, just not like Arizona with great densities. It's just kind of a little more pockety kind of deer. Yes, yes. It's just more pockety. You're going to find mule deer and coos deer almost in every place that there's coos deer. You're probably going to find mule deer as well, but not the, you know, not the other way around. So, you know, anywhere there's coos deer, there will be mule deer as well. But, you know, there is some, I mean, there is some, I've seen some giant coos deer you know, in, at times in New Mexico, you know, the, the Gila's got some pockets and different places. It's pretty pockety. And if you're a coos hunter and you do your homework, you can go in there and kill some pretty solid deer. Um, I got a friend that's, you know, kills big coos deer and likes to hunt coos a lot. And, and he's, he's put some time in over there and they've killed some solid bucks, but it's not a, you know, it's not like a Southern Arizona where you're going to go to a unit and you're only going to glass up coos deer and you're going to see a lot of them. I mean, there's areas that you can go kill some big bucks, but it's I wouldn't compare it to you know some of the good stuff over here in Arizona. Now the Burrow hunt, the Burrow Mountains, and and that stuff that's down there above Silver City and different things. I mean, those are your areas that are kind of known for the bigger you know group you know places where you're going to go and see coos deer only, or you know, um, and then over on the Black Range in the Gila. And that stuff over there, I mean, there's going to be pockets of coos deer in a lot of that country. And if a guy does his homework and he scouts a lot, especially with trail cams now, you know, a guy could produce and turn up a pretty big, big buck. Because there's going to be some age class in a lot of that country because, you know, those bucks aren't being killed, you know. So, talk about you know, the animals. deer hunting, I really wish the deer hunting was a lot better. I mean, I love to hunt deer and and... You know, 20 years ago, there was a lot of really good opportunity to kill a lot of, you know, the deer numbers were really good in New Mexico. It's really gone downhill um, compared to what it was at one time. I mean, much like the West. I mean, look at everything in the West. Mule deer numbers are nothing like they were in the 80s, you know. And uh, I don't know. I'd like to see that. I mean, there's units I wish would they'd just shut down, just solely wouldn't hunt deer for five yeah. years. I mean... There's units that could really handle that that you know that kind of management. Um, you know, just don't shoot any deer in it and try to bring it back. But there, you know, whether they'd ever do that or not, I don't. You know, I don't ever foresee that in some units. Um, you know, you you what see about big deer in the magazines and everything. You know that that come out of New Mexico every year. It produces some big deer, but it's not known for you know great numbers of deer. You know. Let's talk about antelope. What do you do many antelope hunts or is that something that's not your area of focus? Talk a little bit about that. Well, antelope's just like, you know, uh, opportunity hunt, meaning, you know, if we can draw hunters in it, uh, you know, killing antelope's not the hard thing. It's getting the tags, you know. I mean, it can be as tough as sheep tags. I mean, it's like sheep in New Mexico. We put 
guys in every year for sheep all over the state and you know drawing hunters over there is you know it's slim to none getting sheep hunters and there's a couple outfitters that kind of got the sheep market sewed up um and antelope you know i mean antelope if you have there's some really big ranches and there's a lot of places that you know you go through an outfitter and you hunt a big piece of private they got kind of a screwy antelope system to where if you draw a tag you get placed on a certain ranch um it produces New Mexico's got giant antelope in a lot of the units. In the last five years, I've seen many of those really super good units. The quality has really decreased in some of those units due to overhunting, in my opinion. Um, they they've killed too many too many antelope on a lot of these areas, and so you don't your age class isn't near what it once was. Um, and New Mexico every year is going to pump out big, big monster bucks every year. It's got a you know it, it, you know a number of high 80s, low 90s bucks are going to come from the state just because it's got a lot of antelope habitat. Um, and what I mean by that, for instance, I get one antelope tag. I buy one landowner antelope tag for a ranch that I buy elk tags off of. And when I first started buying that tag, so. The private land on an antelope, you get uh, the state will put state hunters in on the ranch with you when you're in the antelope program. So when I first started buying my tag, that ranch had two state hunters on me. Now I have five state hunters on me with my one tag. And, I mean, it's 65,000 acres, but still... You know, beforehand, you'd never see anybody in an antelope hunt. Well, now I got five state guys, so it makes it a little tougher. And doesn't mean all the units are like that or all the areas. It's just ha that's what's happened to us. Um, so their their system is a little different. Um, you know, you got to be in the program with them, and you know. But my tag isn't just good for the st the state lands. It's I mean for the private, it's good for the private as well as the state that's in amongst. So their lease and that goes along with the ranch, I can also hunt. So do your homework on the antelope. Um, if you draw the tag, I mean we you know we take guys every year. You know a guy here and a guy there that draws a tag, but you know we don't take high numbers of antelope hunters just because the draw is extremely tough. Um, but New Mexico has a lot of good antelope. Uh, possibilities if you draw a tag and just it's just like anything else. Figure out what you, you know what your you know goals are and what the expectations are and then and then go for it. You know, without having a point system, you have nothing to lose about New Mexico. In any of the yeah, hunts, you know, I even say that with deer. That's why we take deer hunters, you know, we have a lot of we we take a lot of the repeat clientele I used to say deer hunters would hurt us because if we took a guy deer hunting, you know, whether we produced a big buck for him or not kind of would determine if he was going to come back and hunt elk with it. So my goal with my deer hunting... I'm losing, you, I'm losing your audio. I don't know if you've switched your... Can you hear me? Yeah, that's better. Okay, Jay. Um, so what I've always said for New Mexico for our, our deer hunting is I hope to take a guy elk hunting and once he knows what we can do with elk and he knows that we can hunt and our abilities, then when they start talking deer, we, we push them towards, 
you know, those 2B, 2C hunts, we, we, and they come and hunt. What you're saying is you don't want them to judge you and your outfit from the quality of deer and the quality of the deer hunt. You'd rather them elk hunt, and then if they, you know, if they realize yes. you guys are good hunters, and then you can take them on some pretty good deer hunts, but that you'd rather not take them on a deer hunt right off the bat. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. Because yeah. once they know us and they know who we are and that, you know, we're good guys and we love to hunt and, and we have the ability, because a lot of times the ability has nothing to do with whether you're going to go kill a big deer or not. I mean, I know some, you know, really, really good deer hunters that just roll their eyes about New Mexico, you know, and, and, you know, I like to hunt it. I mean, I like to try to, you know, we, we kill some good deer every year there, but it's just, uh, when we first started hunting a lot of those units, I mean, it was really good, but it's, it's, it's not quite what it once was, so. Any last-minute thoughts? Um, finishing up here, any last-minute thoughts, uh, you know, with New Mexico, with the draw? Well, you know, like any, I said, you know, it's... You, you know, one good thing about New Mexico is it's got a lot of, you know, opportunity for a lot of other species as well. You've got ibex, oryx, you've got sheep, antelope. Um, there's lots of other good opportunities, bar you know, Barbary sheep. Uh, there's lots of species to hunt in New Mexico, all free-range public land hunting. And we do everything that I've talked about, we do. It's just you'll want to call and, and pick our ear about what we do on the side because we don't, Obviously, our, our bread and butter and our bulk is elk. Um, you know, we take, some, we take deer hunters every year. We take, you know, if we get an oryx hunter, ibex, you know. But we're not taking a lot of those guys every year because there's not a lot of tags to be had in those, you know. Um, you know, we try to draw guys out in those hunts every year. Um, it's just the draw can be tough and, you know, but... Without having that point system, you know, a lot of guys, you know, if a guy comes up to me at a show and he says, I want to hunt Arizona, and he's 60 years old and he has no bonus points, I said, well, you're, here we go. Let's go to New Mexico. Let's forget about Arizona, and let's, let's worry about New Mexico because you don't have to be pointed up. You don't have to have the points, and you can get in the draw, and you can have just as good opportunity to draw a good solid tag in New Mexico as the next guy. You just got to be in it for the long haul, jump in it, and unless you want to buy landowner tag, you know, landowner tags, obviously, you know, your hunts can range anywhere from ten to, you know, $13,000, depending on hunt costs and, and tags. And, uh, you know, just go about it that way. Do your research, figure out who you want to hunt with, and, you know, um, outfitter-wise, if people want to, you know, call and discuss options obviously if they're going to put in through the outfitter draw in the state of new mexico you have to sign a contract to apply so my outfitter number that i would that that is under hunt hard outfitters if you want to hunt and be put into the outfitter draw you have to contact me and we will send you a contract to apply and it has a number of different you know terms and conditions and limited power of attorney because we're signing if we're doing the application for you uh, we have to have a limited power of attorney, and uh, we'll apply you for the draw in the outfitter pool. But by doing that, you're contracting with that outfitter that you're going to hunt with that outfitter. So by law, you have to hunt with that outfitter. 
So you have to be in the field with him for 48 hours. Um, you have to have a body or a, a, a guide with that person in the field for at least 48 hours. That just changed this year. That's a new law because before there was people that were putting in under people's outfitter licenses and they would go and meet them two times or, you know, whatever, and then they were hunting on their own. So they put you kind mean of a people stop. were taking advantage of a, of a law? Oh, yeah. I can't imagine loophole, man. that. I can't <laughs> imagine anyone taking advantage of that. Yeah. Uh, so th there was people that actually had created outfitting services, literally, and were doing exactly that. All they were doing was putting people in, in the outfitter draw, so that people would have those odds. They would draw the tag. They would send a guide and meet literally 10 guys at the local coffee shop. And then everybody would go hunt on their own. And he had to, he had to, and that's why they shut, they, they, they closed that loophole. And next year I hear that the loophole is even going to be, it's even going to be tighter. They just hadn't, weren't able to put it into effect this year. Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know. I've read some stuff on it and I've talked to a number of my outfitter buddies on what's going to happen there. But I was glad they shut some of that down because that's taking tags from us that do it full time. Um, in that pool, and that pool was designed for, you know, the outfitters, you know. So, uh, yeah, and there's loopholes. I mean, people can find, you know, I get calls all the time, hey, can I put in under your outfitter permit so I can get the odds? And then I have to ask, well, are you planning on hunting with it? Well, I just wanted to put in with you. Well, we don't do that. I, I save that for the guys that are hunting with us. That's how I make my living, dude. You know, I yeah. have to explain yeah. that to people all the time. So, you know, but people people did take advantage of that, yes, Jay. So it does happen. <laughs> I want to give you a chance to let people know how they can get a hold of you, where they can find you and such. Okay, so you can find us at hunt hard lower slash uh, or underscore gear on Instagram. Um, Facebook is hunt hard on Facebook, Hunt Hard, and then, you know, Hunt Hard Outfitters, any of that will find us. And then www.hunthard.com. And I have a clothing company and a brand as well, and I build packs and equipment. So when you get on there, you can go to Outfitter section and kind of, you know, follow us that way. Uh, but And then if you need to call, um, you know, my direct line to my cell is 928-245-2668. That is my cell number, and the best way to contact me is to text me and text me what you're interested in doing, and then I will uh, get back to you because I, I get a lot of calls and a lot of stuff, you know, if I can't get to you, um, text message is by far the best way. And then if you're interested in Outfitter, the Outfitter pool or hunting with us, um, contact us, you know, text message or call and leave a message or, or get me. And then we can line you up with the contracts and the and the all the rules and the ins and outs of the outfitter pool to get you applied into the outfitter pool uh, for New Mexico. Awesome, man! That's well, pretty much it. So I've got I've got a couple questions for you after this podcast is over. So stay on the line. But I really appreciate having you on. I appreciate uh, all your insight and input uh, into Arizona as well as New Mexico and. Um, you've, you've been an outfitter for a long time and you've been a top producer and uh, hats off to you for that and 
Um, congrats with the success of your um, all, all of your different lines and, and clothing and, and gear and such that you've come up with and encourage the listeners to go check it out. And uh, just God bless you, man. I'll, I'll see you down the road, okay? <laughs>